Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Danielle, I'm going to ask you, if you, if, if you don't have a, a Bible this morning, just slip up your hand. We want to get you the text so you can follow along with us. And when you get it, go to Mark chapter 5. What we're going to do is we're going to be finishing the fifth chapter this morning uh, as we're working through Mark's Gospel this year. And, and this is one of those historical stories of Jesus it's always really left a deep impression uh, on me. It really, it's one of those that gives us uh, a close-up look into the mind, and I believe into the emotions of the man, Jesus Christ. And so it's really special to me. And so I don't want to waste any time. I want to get into the entire account. We're going to read it all the way through. And I really think you're in, a, in for a treat this morning with this particular story. So let's pick up <clears throat> in verse 21 of chapter 5. We're going to go all the way through to verse 43. And it reads this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Verse 24. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Story goes on, verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, Who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him 
and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, Jesus said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And Jesus strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is our passage this morning. This entire story is centered on one thing. And that one thing is this. The fear of death. The fear of death. Remember what we've read so far. What was the disciples' acute fear two passages before when they were under the storm at sea? What is the acute fear of this suffering and helpless woman with her incurable disease? What is the acute fear of this despairing and desperate father with the alarming threat of losing his only daughter? It can all be summed up with one palpable, real, visceral emotion. The fear of death. It's this gnawing angst that has plagued every generation of man. And it is the most basic fear of all. It is the fear below all fears. No one wants to die. You know this, right? No one is prepared to die. No one wants to see a loved one die. It is survival, survival, survival. We don't like talking about death. We don't want to see death. We don't want to prepare for it. We don't want to do our will. We try as Americans to keep death as far away in the closet, up way high in the attic as we possibly can. We're afraid of death. Why? Because death is final. They're not coming back as much as you want them to. As much as you wish you had the power over the grave to bring them back. Some of you know, when they're gone, they're truly gone. Life with that loved one is painfully over, and there is nothing that we can do about it. We are helpless as humans when it comes to the grave. It will take all of us in the end. There are no survivors. None. And here's what's true about history. No philosopher, no culture, no civilization has ever given a sufficient answer to the fear of death. If you study ancient philosophy, they're obsessed with what do we do about the fact that we will all one day die. So much philosophy is centered around how to die well. Socrates said, if you don't deal with the problem of death, you're not a philosopher. They they rack their minds to try and solve how does one live in a world 
where every passing year they're getting closer to it all being over. <clears throat> Doesn't matter how successful you've been, how much money you've made, how much you've secured your life. One day you will die and it's all gone. This is trouble, mankind, since the beginning. It is the one inevitable problem that plagues us all. Is there anything more final, more certain, more enduring than the fact that every precious baby that is ever born will one day die? I'm going to force us to think about it this morning because the passage thinks about it. It doesn't matter, as I said, how successful they are, this child that grows to be. It doesn't matter how kind they are. It doesn't matter how moral or good they are. There are no survivors when it comes to death. I'll put it this way. Death is the single problem of life. And no one has escaped it. This real... And understandable fear of death, very understandable, is, I believe, what drives mankind to madness. There's a great theologian named Peter Bolt in Australia. He has this quote. We can bring it to the screen. It reads, the fear of death is the most basic of all fears. It introduces a profound anxiety into human existence. This existential anxiety provokes us to undertake a quest for security. Lucretius, ancient philosopher, echoes what we find in the scriptures. That human beings seek after greatness, status, importance, possessions, friendship, pleasure. All in the vain attempt to bring some security to an existence that is constantly undermined by the grave. Most of us aren't conscious of this existential fear of death. But it's shot through all of existence in our broken world. It gnaws at the human heart. And so the fear of death is what's underneath it all, whether we realize it or not. And it causes humans to clutch on to so many fleeting things for a sense of security in our lives. To have some kind of stable ground to stand on in a world tormented by the ever encroaching shadow of death that's coming our direction. Do you feel good yet? Whether it be wealth to feel secure, health to feel secure, success to feel secure, pleasure to feel secure. And keep back the thought of death from my life. Now, you might say, the fear of death is not why I pursue success. I pursue success for this, this, and this. Sure, those are conscious motives. But there is an unconscious core motive that drives all the others. It's the fear that everything will be taken away from you, including yourself. Death is the problem of life. And none has escaped it. Today's account is about the one man, the one act, the one truth and tradition that has 
changed it. This is the unique gospel of life, of overcoming death itself that you're going to hear this morning. And I pray that you find yourself in it. Because the reality is this, you don't need to fear death, Christian man or woman. And what I want to do is find out why. Why don't you need to fear death? Pick up in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, remember, they crossed once and almost died with a storm. They got to the other side, delivered the demoniac. They're going back the same route. Get it in your scene. So they come back in the boat to the other side. And a great crowd gathered about Jesus. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus, by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him or begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Let's get into this moment with this desperate father. He's utterly helpless to do anything for this daughter that he loves. And we know later in the story it's his his only daughter. Or maybe that's from the Gospel of Luke. I can't remember. But in the Gospels it makes clear it's his only daughter. He's helpless. Helpless. He has no more options. Death is here to take his little girl. And if you know dads of daughters, which I'm one, to feel helpless is our worst nightmare. I'm her daddy. I will always be there. I will always protect her. I will always make a way for her. Dads of daughters hate feeling helpless. And you can imagine Jairus, the fear and the frustration that he feels when death reaches out for his own daughter. What will he do? What's he going to do? She's just 12 years old. Her whole life is ahead of her. What you got to know about Jairus is he's a well-respected ruler of the synagogue. He's a leader of high status in the town. He is well-off and well-to-do. He can get into any place he wants to get into. He's at the country club, whatever. He's that man from that family. And so the question he's faced with as death is at his daughter's door literally is this. Will he risk religious and political controversy By associating with this backwoods rogue prophet from Nazareth named Jesus. Will he put everything on the line to reach out to this highly controversial Jesus character? Jesus was not liked. Why do you think he got killed? It was not popular to be a follower of Jesus. Towards the end, he only had about 120 followers to his name. It wasn't cool to be with Jesus. It was controversial, especially for this man from this family with his role in society. Will he risk it? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. It says in verse 22, he rushes down to the shore. Take a look at it. He throws himself down at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come and rescue his daughter. You have to get the scene. This well-off, ultra-secure, well-esteemed, proud man of social status and power, ruler of the synagogue, on his hands and knees in a great crowd to see. He would have wore certain clothing. He would have been distinguished. They knew who he was. 
He's on the, 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 the sand of the shore begging this controversial prophet to come and rescue his daughter. What drives him to do this? The fear of death. The fear of death. The fear of losing one that he loves. <coughs> Verse 24. One simple sentence. And Jesus went with him. I love that. Jesus had every excuse to go about his day. He, he's, he's mobbed by a crowd. And notice what it says in the text. He doesn't ask Jairus any questions. He doesn't try and get any information out of him. It simply says, and he went with him. He enters in to this desperate father situation immediately. Story goes on. A great crowd followed Jesus, verse 24, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 long years and who had suffered. Look at the description. This is the worst description you can get in medical crisis. Verse 26. She had suffered much under many doctors, number one, and had spent all that she had, number two, and was no better, number three, and, but rather grew worse, number four. She had every reason to despair over her life. Verse 27, she had heard the reports, though, about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. Twelve years is a long time to suffer that intensely. I, I've had, you know, some kind of a medical crisis, but I mean, we're talking six months or so. Twelve years. That's a whole dec decade plus gone. Wasted. Her money is gone. She's bankrupt. And she's not better. She's worse. And she's got a long list of doctors that she can say, don't go to. And it's not only the physical and psychological pain, as we said. She's now outcast with no money. Not only is she bankrupt, but she's lost her religion and faith community. Let me explain. This, is, this, is, this just takes it to a whole level. Her condition made her ceremonially unclean in the Jewish law to participate in Israel's religious life. She wouldn't be here this morning. Because of the way the law worked with clean and unclean and the different categories that they had, she has been dismissed and no one really can be near her without a certain ritual of washing over a period of time. She's not, she's not worth it. You'd have to upend your life to be friends with her. Who knows what her family did? She's all alone in this helpless disease and fear of dying all alone. Is there any worse thought than the idea of dying all alone, and there's no one there to even care. That's one of the saddest thoughts. What drives her to sneak up behind Jesus 
the fear of death. Word has spread concerning this faith healer in the region, Jesus of Nazareth. A ray of hope comes into her life, in this lonely woman's life. She hears the crowds and commotion that comes out of wherever she is, wherever the home, and she wonders what's going on. And she hears people talking about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He's here, he's here, he's here. He's come to our town. It says in verse 28, if I could, if I could only just reach out and touch his clothes, I'll be made well. This is her chance. This is her moment. This is her opportunity. Only problem is, she's considered unclean. Everyone in her small town knew who she was. She had to find a way. She couldn't just walk up to the Holy Rabbi. She was dismissed from normal society and daily life. They would say, whoa, 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 stay back. Let the rabbi go. So she has to devise a plan to sneak up. And that's what it says in the passage. That likely she was on her hands and knees like a child, weaving through the, the, the crowd and sneaks up just to touch his cloak. That's the scene. Pick up in verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples, this part's comical because I would have said the same thing back to him. His disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Everyone touched you. And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told Jesus the whole truth. The whole truth. Notice what happens here. Jesus is persistent in finding her. Who touched me? Who was it? And it says he, he went about looking to see who had done it. She wanted a cure. Jesus wanted a personal encounter. I want to know her. I want to know her name. I want to know her story. I want to know what happened. Who is she? He looks for her. And then this interaction in verse 34. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He says, go in peace. No fear or trembling. Go in peace. This is the only place in the four Gospels where Jesus addresses someone as daughter. As daughter. It's incredibly touching. This is the tender love of this vastly, Powerful man. Power went out from him. Someone had faith and hope and just swiped his, his, his pant leg, his jacket. And it says, Power, the power of life went out of him and conquered disease in a moment. And yet, this man.
no one like him. What about Jairus? What about Jairus? <coughs> if I'm one of the disciples, I, this is my fault. This is all taking way too much time. <laughs> like, amen. God bless you. Gotta go. <laughs> you know, like, there's a 12-year-old who's dying. This is a big deal. Like, Lord bless you. Here's some money. Go. We got to get. You see the crowd? We lost the path. We gotta go. And so the disciples, you know, you just imagine, you know, like a celebrity just clearing the path, clearing the path. It's 12. They don't path. You know, they're just clearing it out. Jesus is coming. Jairus in hand. Let's go. We, we don't have time. Time is of the essence. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking to her, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Why, why bother the teacher anymore? He's got a lot going on. I'm sorry, she didn't make it. She's dead. I've tried all week to get into the mind of Jairus in that moment, what he felt inside when he was asked that question. Why bother him anymore? You can imagine what he thought. I guess you're right. I need to bury my daughter. Even a great teacher and healer like Jesus, he can't change death. He can't cheat it. It's out of his hands now. You're right. Let's not bother him. Let him go. I need to bury my daughter. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, the question, Jesus said to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the rule of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she's sleeping. They laughed at him, as you would. But he put them all outside and took the father and the mother and those who were with him, his three disciples. And they went in where the child was. And Jesus, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking. For she was only 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Can you imagine if you were in the room to see that? Can you imagine the story Jairus had to tell the rest of his life? Can you imagine the absolute debt and devotion they felt towards this man, Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus became everything to this family. They told that story every Thanksgiving. I mean, he, they, they, they did a painting. He, he, was, he was everything to them. 
He saved their only daughter from death. Here's the truth of this story. Fear of death is answered by faith in the one who can raise the dead. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, the desire to defeat death is what drove Jesus to die on the cross. Go here with me. I'm going to get theological. We can do it. To die. This is Jesus' motivation. People are coming to him drove by the, driven by the fear of death. He's driven to the cross by the desire to conquer death. He doesn't want another moment like this where a daughter will die and then perish forever outside of God's kingdom. He says, I know we're all going to die. We live in a, a sin-broken world. We're going to die a physical death. But I am not content to see people not be able to raise back to life in the kingdom on a different reality forever with God. I'm not okay with the second death. The first death, inevitable. But I want to give people hope. That drove him to die his death, our death, to die our sin penalty death. What is the wages of sin, Romans 6? Death, that is the penalty. He died in our place as humanity's representative, as the second Adam, as it says in Romans 5. And to go all the way through death. I mean, Jesus did it all. He could have came. I don't know how God could have done it. He just could have came as like a, like a get past middle school. I don't know, 16-year-old, you know? He goes through even birth. And birth in a pretty primitive society where he's placed in a cow trough. You know what I mean? I mean, there's no midwife there. There's no doula. He goes through every single part of your life, even the womb. A lot of kids didn't make it in that time. And they certainly weren't all born into abject poverty placed in a couch. But Jesus, he dies our death in our place as humanity's representative, the second Adam. And he goes all the way through death and out the other side of it to stand over it victorious. You can't hold me, Jesus says. Your grip has held every other man and woman that's ever lived. Every great man or great woman, king, prince, philosopher, all of them have a grave. But not me. I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the son of God. And you can't hold me down in your grip. I stand over you victorious. This is the truth we believe. This is the orthodox belief that we hold. And there is great empirical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a whole other talk. No one has ever gone beyond the grave. No one has ever wrestled that final enemy to the ground and stood over it. But Jesus Christ did. The wages of sin is death. But that was paid in full, the penalty Paid in full, ransomed by the sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus, watch this, dealt the death blow to death itself, nullifying its power over mankind. Jesus now reigns over all realms of reality, including life and death. He went through it all. Look at 
how Revelation quotes the resurrected Jesus Christ. Bring it to the screen for me. Revelation 1. John the Apostle says, this is the resurrected Christ. This is years after the cross. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But Jesus laid his right hand on me saying, this is now Jesus, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Holding this power over life and death, he promises all that, what does he say to Jairus? Fear not, but believe in me that he will resurrect us from the dead on the last day of history to live forever like him in his father's eternal kingdom. That is the hope of all hopes. Otherwise, you rot in the dirt. And worse than that, Revelation talks about the second death. Jesus promises this throughout the Gospels. Look at John 6 on the screen. He says, for this is the will of my father. What does the cosmic God want? Right here, he's going to tell you. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Promised. Bold. Done. Definitive. Future. He gives another one. His good friend Lazarus dies. Martha's brother. He cries over Lazarus. And then he brings him back. John 11, Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. The Jews had this belief, but they had this belief that if we kept the law, we're good moral people, then we'll be resurrected. No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection life, not your law or good behavior. I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, though he die, yet shall he live. I'll raise him up. What does all this mean for me and you? It means you don't have to fear the grave. It means you don't have to be afraid of dying. You have a future. You have a forever future in him. You live forever. You need not fear anything in this life. Because you will live forever eternally. With him. Friends, let me tell you, if you're a Christian, this is just a quick intro. I guess a long time called eternity. This is just a quick intro. To know that even though one day you'll die, you will live forever with him, death is not this great enemy. it's, It's a passageway. John Lennon, who's not, you know, a Bible scholar, said death is getting out of one car into another. When you believe Jesus. Death is not final. It's not the final word. It's not the slamming down on the table. It's just passageway with Christ into a resurrected life forever with him. I ain't got to fear death. This is what made the early Christians fearless in life and death. What does it matter? What, what does it matter? I mean, there are things that are important, but they're not ultimate. In this life, what does it matter? I'll live forever in God's kingdom. You got to get that in your bones. Because if 
All the philosophers, and I think even the Bible is true, the fear of death is the fear that drives all of our other anxieties and all of our other madness. The early Christians, I don't know what they did, but they let this in. Part of it was they were suffering people, powerless, poor people. And so they didn't have hope in this life. They weren't going to go from this life to the next. Too often we clutch on the riches of this life, thinking they'll last forever. We think that they are heaven. They're not heaven. They're saint. They're vapor. The Bible says they will one day just move right through your hands. You can get a call tomorrow. You can get a test back tomorrow. But you have a terminal disease. You know what happens? It happens all the time. Who knows what could happen? James says tomorrow is not guaranteed. At some point, you'll be at the end. And everything you clutched onto will go through your hands like vapor. This ain't heaven. This is the intro. This is the intro. And the other side is guaranteed to the Christian man. set my hope on what's forever. What's forever? What's there left to fear? Hebrews 2 says it this way. Love this two verses. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things when he was born into our world. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. As you've been delivered to live a life of total freedom in this life, of freedom and sacrifice in him, you need to be free, Christian man or woman, in this life. Totally free. Because death will not have the last word. The gospel will. The gospel of life in Jesus Christ will have the last word. Your hope of heaven is secure. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I'm I'm, I'm speaking to you right now. I need you to look at me. If you're not yet a Christian, one who identifies as a follower of Jesus, what are you waiting on? This is what you need. It's not an add-on. It's not like, that, I could see that. I could see my... Check, check. <laughs> check. Can go to this one, Nathan? Check. All, all dead? Check, 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 check. I don't need it. Will might need it in a second. Check. There it is. If you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, the question I have for you this morning is what are you waiting on? This is what you need. This is absolutely what you need. You will die. You will die. Some pastors wouldn't be this honest with you. Death is pretty darn honest. You will die. I remember my football coach. He was a Christian. 
public school back in the day. I don't know if they can still pull this off, but I mean, he talked to us about God, like all the time. And he talked about death. He told us, you will die one day. He was honest about it. A year later, I realized what I needed. And I came to the one who has the keys of death, the Lord of life, the only one that could rescue me in this life and the next. I'm speaking to you. If you're concerned at all about your life and future, come to the Lord of life. Receive his gospel this morning. Come talk to me after this service. This is the most important step you will ever take. And what I can tell you, I can be just as honest about this. Jesus Christ will welcome you with open arms this morning as you confess your sins, your life without him, and you put your faith and hope solely in him. He will love you and take you in, and he will raise you up on the last day. He will secure a future for you forever in his Father's love and kingdom. Rest easy, Christian man. Rest easy. Your life is forever secure. Last week, <coughs> one of my Lindsay Beamer, Lindsay's our kids director, remember. Last week we had a great prayer meeting. Uh, Laura Pittner and Caleb Bactel lead us once a month in a special prayer time. We go over to Laura's house and, uh, and, and they lead the whole thing. It's great. We don't have to lead it. And it's a time for us just to pray for the church, to get vision. It's a time for us really to listen to God and let God speak to us. And we were praying for the kids of our church, the, ch- the children, the, the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, uh, the kids that God's given us. And as we're praying for this, the Lord just shared something with, with Lindsay, uh, I think prophetically. And she shared it with us, and we got to pray into it. And the first thing out of my mouth was, man, we, got, we just got to share this with the, with the community on Sunday. Um, because I think it really ties into what God's doing here. So, Lindsay, share this. All right, and before I do share, I just want to say I don't think this is just a word for the parents. I think this is for everybody here. We're part of caring about the next generation here at the church, where I know we have a lot of young life people. Like, I think this is for you guys, too. Um, But we were there praying, um, and as we were, I just saw myself. I was just laying down, face down. Um, And as I was laying there, I was like, man, I feel like I'm just laying down my life, and it just doesn't feel like it's enough. Um, And then I had... God was like, yeah, it's not. My sacrifice isn't enough. Um, it's Jesus' sacrifice that is. And as soon as that thought came to mind, it was just so free. It's like, yeah, I'm not working harder to do this. It's Jesus' sacrifice that makes it enough. And so I have that thought, and then a bunch of other people come and lay down next to me. And as soon as we're all laying down, the kids just come running. And they run fast, and they run past us, and they're smiling. Um, and man, that's just what we want. We want to lay down. Um, our lives, and we want the kids at this church, the students at this church, to know Jesus better than we do. We want the way that we model that to just be the beginning for them. So that's our prayer, that we can lay down our life, that we can trust Jesus' sacrifice enough that it just pushes the kids even further. Um, so yeah. Amazing. And I just think that ties in so much, that as we lay down our lives for our children, the image was them running free 
in the Lord, happy in the Lord. As we lay down our lives, there's a future that's created for them. We both know, Lindsay and I, and you parents know well. I mean, what you said, it feels like I've been laying down my life a lot, right, Lord? <laughs> like, there's a lot of sacrifice going on. But it doesn't feel enough. And the Lord's saying, it's not. My sacrifice is enough. And it's enough for you and a community of parents and students to lay down their lives in me for these children. Let me tell you something. We prayed. I said, God, I don't want to lose one of them. Not one. We got 30, 40 children over there. We've got some middle schools. I don't want, and some high schools. I don't want to lose one of them. God, I want you to call all of them to yourself. I want you to put them in your arms through the sacrifice of Christ using parents to lay down their life as well, a whole community laying down their life for the next generation so that they have a future secure now and in heaven forevermore. That's what we want. And so, as Jesus says, with all the truth you heard this morning, those who try and save their life, he says, lose it. But those who lose their life for me and the gospel will save it. The only way you can lose your life in this world is knowing that you have one forever in the next. That's what allows you to sacrifice. This isn't all there is. I have eternity forever. And so if I need to lay down my life again this morning and this night and the next one and the next one and the next one, I will. I will. Amen. Let's pray now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We relish in the gospel of life this morning. God, I ask right now that hope would grow in this room. A hope that drives us to lay down our life. God, I ask for a fearlessness in the face of sickness and suffering, in the face of loss, in the face of death, a fearlessness, a joyful fearlessness that lives with open hands and open hearts to God and to people. God, we pray for these children, every last one of them. The babies that are in the womb in this room, the babies that have just been born, the toddlers, the pre-K, the elementary, the middle, the high, we pray for every single soul of these children. God, we want them forever in your kingdom. Bright souls that grow up to love Jesus and are fruitful in life. God, I ask right now you would impart a faith, a hope, and an energy to every parent in the room, to every student in the room. God, lift us higher to a higher vision than ourselves. And may we be a church that lays down our corporate life for the next generation. We ask this together. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.